Well, just to prove that artificial intelligence is no match for natural stupidity, we're back for another Action Figure Blues podcast, episode number 260, for the week of Wednesday, the 15th of February, 2017. I'm Scott, and with me tonight are... Ben. And Eddie. This episode is brought to you by Mike's Comics and Stuff, Davy Boy's Toys, and ActionFigureBlues.com. Tonight, our Toy of the Week is the Mezco 112 Collective Judge Dredd and Longmaster, and our discussion topic is a toy history of the Mezco Hellboy action figure line. Now, long Well, we are back, and we actually have another show with people uh, kind of in the same place at the same time. Yay! <laughs> Hello! Yay! <laughs> so, um, Mr. Ben, how are you? I'm good. Uh, I'm, I'm well. Uh, broken arms are healing, not mine. My daughter's. It's uh, okay, coming mine. along nicely. <laughs> Your broken arm is not healing? or you, yeah. <laughs> uh, No, no, no. I'm all good. Uh, uh, she's all good, and... And uh, kids are interesting the way they react to, to sort of trauma like this. We uh, had an X-ray and the cast replaced last Friday, and uh, I hadn't seen any of the sort of surgery type stuff. So when the cast came off, I got to sort of inspect the wound. And uh, Miss Six has these two wires sticking out of her elbow. Oh yikes! And when they said they used three wires to sort of hold it together, I'm, I'm picturing sort of like fishing line type wire. Yeah. But uh, it's probably more akin to coat hanger wire, like it's that thick. And she has these two wires sticking out of her elbow with a curve on them so they don't form sharp points. And I'm sort of looking at them sticking out of this tiny little girl's elbow and sort of getting it almost a bit sort of queasy. It's like, good grief. <laughs> and here's Miss Six, like, poking them, going, what are these? What are these? Why are they there? And I'm sort of like, ah, ah, don't touch, don't touch. And, yeah, she completely just, yeah, I was really quite blown away. There was no um, no distress of any kind. She was quite fascinated with the whole thing. Wow. So, yeah, quite a little trooper. That's very impressive. Okay. Yeah. Back yeah. to school today. So that was, she was very excited because the, uh, they get to choose the cast. So she chose the, uh, the rainbow camouflage. So. Oh, of course. Yeah. 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 Very good. <laughs> and how have you been? How's the, uh, the new addition to the family? <laughs> ah, yes. Well, the new addition to the family, uh, is the largest action figure I've ever bought. Um, <laughs> and, uh, it's, um, breathes and lives in, in poops a lot because it's a horse. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, all happening. <laughs> very, very exciting. Very exciting. Um, we had a, we, we've been kind of working towards this for a while and we found the horse that, uh, we thought was going to be the good one for my daughter. And we had a vet check, which was the kind of final, you know, um, thing. And he passed and it's all good. And, Great. um, yeah. And so very exciting. And she gets to have, um, lessons, with 
his uh, previous owner, the person we're buying it from, who is a really uh, talented Olympic hopeful rider. So um, that's really good. So yay. Fantastic. Um, yep. And, uh, you know, maybe a, a few less premium formats in my future, <laughs> but that's all. It's all good. Yeah, it's all good. Wow. With the current price rises, that's a pretty easy decision. Yeah, holy dooly. Yeah, that's not much difference. It's, uh, mm. <laughs> um, yeah, so, you know, all, all good. And it's exciting to be able to um, do something like that. You know, she's put in a lot of hard work and um, waited a long time. So yeah. it's, all, it's all good. Fantastic. Um, so we're going to split up into groups now, and Ben and I are going to do the toy of the week. And uh, Eddie and Eddie, um, <laughs> and also Eddie, are going to uh, come back with a toy history. Um, we did a we did a Hellboy toy history back in the day before um, Eddie was on board, but Eddie is going to oh. yeah, tantalize us with a very specific Mezco Hellboy toy history line. So looking forward to that. And uh, we'll be back right after this. Look at these clowns and pig monkeys. Well, welcome to another AFB toy breakdown. We are going to be taking a look at the new Mezco 112 Collective Judge Dread action figure. And it just happens to coincide with the 40th anniversary of Judge Dread. Does it make you feel old, Scotty? Uh no, I <laughs> yeah you know, I I can't say that uh, I'll be upfront. Judge Dredd is not really my deal. I'm here for the the one twelve bit. Yeah, so yes, um, well, yeah. Is, uh, <laughs> That's why you're in charge of this segment, and I'm just here to add color commentary. Excellent, excellent. All right, well, I shall continue to drive. Well, okay. Well, for <laughs> those people who don't know, Judge Dredd is a uh, product of uh, British comics and has uh, uh, entertained us with many stories over the years with a very uh, subtle or not so subtle political sort of uh, underlying uh, political stories. Uh, it's very entertaining. Um, Interestingly, Dread seems to always uh, always seem to sort of hold his own in the merchandise stakes um, for a property that's never been particularly big in America. Uh, he still seems to hold a lot of interest among the different merchandisers out there. So there always seems to be uh, sort of figures, toys, T-shirts or, or something happening with Dread, which is, uh, I think, a real credit um, to the longevity of the character. Uh, I certainly know growing up it was very hard for me to get hold of Judge Dread material, uh, 2000 AD, the, the sort of the, the, the large newsprint magazine slash newspaper format comic uh, was very difficult to come by in comic shops um, and, and would only sort of arrive sporadically. So uh, I'm certainly taking advantage of the current uh, offer from, I think it's Hatchet Works, that's uh, reprinting a lot of the Judge Dread material in those really nice hardcovers and uh, reading stories that uh, I've never actually had the opportunity to read, but I've certainly read about. Yeah. So uh, what's impressive? Sorry. Sorry. I think, you know, he is the kind of character uh, that well, I I really dislike the phrase toyetic. I think it's a made-up word. Mm. Um, but, that you know, he's got a kind of popularity that transcends um, – you know the source material in a sense, so yeah, um, yeah. that you can't, even if you don't really uh, know much 
about him, he's got that kind of look that, you, you know, like I've bought this figure um, mainly because I am really enjoying this 112 line, but if, if I didn't think it looked good, I would still skip it, you know, like, um, yeah. Yeah. And he, he's a funky looking dude. He is indeed, and I think it was pretty impressive that uh, Mezco actually went after this particular license. Uh, obviously, Batman was, uh, I think, the first cab off the rank when it came yes. to the 112 Collective, yep. uh, and I just assumed that with Batman we were going to sort of quickly see a, a whole horde of DC and Marvel, but it's nice that Mezco have actually thrown out uh, a few others. We've also seen Star Trek get a look in as well, which yep. uh, you've uh, done a couple of reviews on now. Sure have. So we're going to talk about Judge Dredd. He is the first 112 collective figure that I've picked up, uh, and based on what we're about to talk about, I'll let you know if I'm thinking of getting some more. <laughs> but uh, let's, kick, uh, let's kick things off with uh, the price. Uh, I think this guy goes for about $65. US dollars. Um, I believe so, yeah. If you can find him, there are a few variants around. So if you are interested, uh, do a little bit of research first. Uh, there was a previews exclusive that came with a few extra items. I think there's now a black and white variant, uh, and there's also a variant that features a different color scheme based on sort of a, a different era. A variant variant. Yeah, I think yeah. there are now. There's variants yeah. of variants. But yeah. uh, now I do believe you and I both have the original, uh, the original release of Dread, which features the, the dark um, body suit and the green knee pads. Yeah. And uh, that is my preferred Dread, I have to say. This is uh, the one that I'm more familiar with over the uh, the yellow knee pads. So I've had mine for ages sitting waiting. You have. Yeah. <laughs> you have. And, of course, you were waiting for uh, Justin and myself to, yeah. to get these. And so, uh, you know, then suddenly I got mine and then Justin turned around and went, oh, I actually got the 3A toys one. <laughs> so. Yeah. so he's fired. He's fired, yeah. That's yeah, why fine. you haven't heard from Justin. Seriously. He's uh, he's looking for work. Can't follow simple instructions. It's really <laughs> that's, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, let's kick things off with the packaging, and uh, it's uh, it's a pretty darn big box that that yes. you know you're presented with. I mean, you know, I keep telling myself when I look at this box that it is just a, a Marvel Legends sized figure, but it's a it's a big old box for for what you'd expect. And uh, first thoughts is it's very very slick looking at it from the outside. It's, it's interesting because I do have a few of these. Um, the the way the packaging has changed a bit, The because this was obviously one of the earlier ones, and this one, like the Batman Dark Knight um, stuff, has printing on the plastic sleeve. Mm, um, mm. So the logo is on the plastic sleeve, and there's some character stuff on the plastic sleeve as well. Um, and they had that up until Spock. Um, and then the next two uh, Star Trek ones, uh, Sulu and Kirk, had all the printing on the box and just the plastic sleeve, uh-huh. which is a little bit annoying just because it's like, oh, this is different now. And I thought, oh, they've changed. <laughs> it must be a cost-cutting thing. But I, interestingly, I just got my – uh, Batman versus Superman, Batman, um, okay. and that's got printing on the sleeve. So I don't, right. I don't know what's going on, um, <laughs> but it's definitely you know if you were slightly OCD like me, 
then you would find that slightly annoying, like I do. <laughs> uh, I'm just grateful the boxes aren't numbered. So, oh, that's true. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> no, that would that would be really bad. <laughs> yes. Uh, so, yeah, so what we do get uh, with Dread is a very nice dark blue. Uh, I guess they call it the fifth panel um, window box. So it's that uh, that nice sort of large cardboard box where uh, one panel sort of flips open, revealing the figure through a plastic window. Now, uh, as Scotty mentioned, it does actually come with an acid sleeve that slips over the box and uh, the box actually slips out sideways rather than uh, rather than vertically uh, and I don't know about yours Scotty but my acetate sleeve also has a plastic sleeve around it uh, I think it might have like I said I've had this for a while yeah. <laughs> so it may it, yeah, definitely um, they 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 do the earlier ones did come with that extra plastic right. sleeve around the plastic yeah, it's kind of weird, isn't it? My my box has a protector, and there's a plastic protector for my protector for my box. So <laughs> yeah, so yes, it's that uh, that sort of heavyweight uh, acetate plastic. There's some really nice graphics on there. Very sort of a basic, almost like a, a dread logo of, of the helmet printed on the front. Um, some nice images on the back, which I think are quite well done. They've actually got a bit of a almost a sort of metallic feel to them. It gives the box a lot of. Um, uh, a, a lot of pop when that, that blue colour is shining through. But when you actually slide that sleeve off, what you're left with uh, is a fairly sort of nondescript blue cardboard box. There's a, a nice kind of shadow image of the dread figure on the back, but the rest is all sort of fairly largely untouched. Uh, yeah. I think most of it, you know, is uh, is all the writing on the, the bottom flap. Uh, a little bit of uh, credit given to Judge Dread creators, uh, John Wagner and Carlos. I've never been able to pronounce his name properly, so I'm just going to say Carlos Oscara. Um, but, uh, yeah, nothing really about sort of who sculpted it or, or who did what. There's a special thanks to someone for helping with uh, the design of the figure, but uh, no real credits that I can see. Yeah. So, all right, well, that fifth panel um, has a magnet, which is really nice. It holds it closed really well. Um, my acetate window also has its own cover protecting it as well. <laughs> um, when you uh, when you open that flap, what you get is a, a huge sort of image of the Judge Dread badge, which is done in a really nice gold metallic. Um, and, you know, look, I, I think for the price point, what you're getting some really nice packaging compared to what oh, yeah. you'd get for, for, say, you know, a Marvel Legends or a, or a sort of a Star Wars black. All right, well, I just opened mine from the bottom and I slipped out the inner tray. And, uh, boy, it's one of those... Um, yeah, what the, what's the name that we give where the, the cover tray goes all the way to the bottom? It's sort of like a number of the Hot Toys figures do that. Well, look, uh, I mean, you could copy and paste the rant I'm about to have from uh, <laughs> previous reviews of the 112 stuff, but th this is so overpackaged. I, yes. And the, uh, like, I'm not, I'm not sure what the origins of it are, whether some of it, like the extra plastics, you know, stuff uh, is the bits that, you know, the factory does or whether it's all by design, but oh my goodness. Um, yeah. You know, there's yeah. a, you know, there's, there's some definite savings that you could make here in the production of this without having to take anything away from tooling or accessories or anything. Yes. And that's just, you know, get the freaking packaging under control. Um, <laughs> Cause the, there's a whole tray in this setup that I think is uh, points for consistency because it hasn't changed the entire time, but there's a whole tray worth of stuff here that I feel like is unnecessary. 
Yes, I, I concur absolutely. Uh, the first thing that I thought of when I, I sort of slid the tray out was, uh, he's so whittle. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, you have to sort of remind yourself that one twelfth, you know, scale is is six inch scale um, because he's he's just tiny and he's in this giant packaging. So uh, you've got this sort of deep cutout that sits in the middle, and uh, the reason it's so big is the base that he comes with is rather gigantic um but there's a lot of empty space around sort of his head shoulder sort of torso area yes you can see that the nice um stand which you know has the dread nameplate and everything on it boo boo um <laughs> but, and, it, and it's kind of shaped like a keyhole or a skull but there's extraordinary amounts of wasted space on the sides and, and above the accessories i i, at, I feel at like least the, um at least the the nameplate like it's his actual logo not just his name printed there i yeah. can cope with that a lot better than you know like the the star trek ones just have got the star trek logo they don't say captain kirk on it and so <laughs> you know i think that you, you got to give something for that yeah yeah i, I, I have mean, another complaint about this particular base but we'll get to oh no go, go for it oh well my freaking peg hole doesn't fit in the freaking feet Oh, I haven't actually got that far yet. I've yeah, actually well, been. The, hmm. the way that the logo is printed, you want to put it in the left heel. And right. I can only fit mine on the right heel, which doesn't really make any sense in terms of the positioning of the logo. Um, so I don't know. I'm, 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 this is more um, your kind of territory of yeah. things not fitting properly. <laughs> Hmm. I'll take it out my chisel. Yeah, tr- trust you to do it on the cheap figure, and I do it on the premium <laughs> formats. <laughs> That's right. It, hmm. I mean, it does. It, yeah, it just. I think it's something wrong with the peg hole on the left side. But it's like, why? Why? Why does this have to be so hard? <laughs> Yes. Well, he uh, he's a little dude. I mean, this is my first 112 figure, um, and, and with all the sort of the, the swap-out pieces and, you know, all the photos <clears throat> we saw in advance, um, I'm still quite still blown away by the fact that he's so little, um, and that is because <laughs> he is in a six-inch scale, um, and he really is. So he's yeah. – uh, I mean, I, I – off the top of my head, I have no idea how tall Judge Dredd is, but certainly the way he's drawn, he sort of has that quite a, a physically imposing sort of presence. Um, so this figure measures in at about six and a half inches. So he's a, a little bit on the bigger side, but uh, he, he's certainly not out of scale with, say, Marvel Legends or similar. I, I think the actual sizing is, is quite good. Yep. All right, well, if we get the dude out, and I shall lift him out, um, he has a... He has a little bit of heft to him. He's certainly, for a six-inch figure, got a bit of um, a weight compared to, say, a Marvel Legends figure, and I think there's a few reasons for that. Now, did, did yours come with a little warning? Uh, yes. We, we missed that bit in the taking, taking apart. It's a little my, – mine had a little warning slip behind the figure saying, don't try and open the zip from the – with the oh yes yes don't try yanking the zip down yeah i was like oh that's handy <laughs> <laughs> yeah thanks for telling us you know putting the, the warning under yeah the exactly yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah very helpful guys very helpful yes 
Um, so, yeah, there's quite a bit of heft to this guy, and, and I think there's a few reasons for that. One, I think, is that sort of under underlying um, buck that they've chosen has sort of the, the heavy sort of steel reinforcing in it, um, particularly in the joints. Like, I notice a number of the joints have got that sort of ratchety feel. Um, but I think, for me, straight away, uh, I, I, I feel like I'm getting – that money's worth. I'm, I'm looking at this figure without doing anything, without moving any of the uh, any of the joints or anything, um, and it and it feels like a deluxe figure. It's it's got that uh, faux leather sort of uh, jumpsuit or the, you know the one piece the onesie that he wears underneath all of his um, uh, other gear, mm. um, and and that sort of I think it, it adds a a level of slickness to it, for me at least. Uh, I think once you start to introduce mixed media at this scale, um, that feels pretty special. So my my first thought as soon as I take him out is that, yeah, he actually looks pretty nifty. Absolutely. There's some really um, nice touches here uh, that are the sort of things that obviously the price point of a retail six-inch figure um you can't do even just with sculpting. And the, I think that <clears throat> his uh, outfit and some of this gear really lends itself to this mixed media um, format as well. Um, and there's magnets. Yes. Let's get to the fun bit. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was unaware of the magnets before, um, before I got this figure. So it, it really came as a surprise. I, I wasn't ready for it at all because uh, I got him out. And, of course, Dread has a, a bit of a dated costume. And, uh, you take you know, that back, <laughs> so, said, said the 90s. Anyway, it's, it's very awkward. Um, and, and so they've actually captured that quite well, particularly with the, uh, the, the shoulder emblems. Of course, you've got the, you know, the famous um, Judge Eagle on the right shoulder and that sort of really pointless shoulder pad uh, on the left shoulder. Um, and I was sort of looking at them and going, oh, hang on, how's this going to work? You know, and uh, I grabbed one and sort of moved it. And I thought, oh, hang on, that's actually held on by a magnet. That's rather clever. Um, and so as it turns out, he contains three magnets, uh, one in each shoulder and one on his chest for his badge. You mean yours stayed on while getting all the ridiculous packaging off of him? Yeah. <laughs> my, my magnet bits both flipped off just trying to get him free from the padding that they had around his neck and around the stupid badge. Oh, yes, there's an awful lot of crap oh going gosh. on there that um, – yeah, I think this would be a tough one to put back into its original, uh, uh, you know, retail package to, if you wanted to sort of on-sell it, um, because I certainly didn't take any pictures before uh, reefing him out. Yeah, yeah, no, so. yeah, you'd, you'd, I, uh, some things you can kind of reassemble and put back exactly as you got it, but there's some things with these guys I don't try because there's a lot of, you know, uh, and I think some of this is factory stuff where they, you know, put extra plastic padding around it so that it arrives yeah. safely, and that's well and good. But it would be almost impossible to actually properly uh, look at it and display, like, you know, photograph it without ripping some of that stuff. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think the packaging could do some with some work. It certainly looks fantastic. Uh, when you, you do get that package open, everything looks amazing. But as I said, I think it's a little bit overdone. Yeah. Um, well, and also the other, my other major packaging complaint with this one in particular is that because like some of these, the, the accessories which we're going to talk about are um, quite small because of the scale, mm. uh, the extra tray makes it really hard to actually get some of these out without kind of taking it all apart so that you can 
you know, pop the little bits and pieces out. So yeah, absolutely. Uh, ranch, well, ranch, rave, rave. Yeah. <laughs> uh, certainly looking at the sculpt, uh, you know, as a Dread fan, I really don't have any complaints. I think they've captured uh, a lot of what makes Dread Dread. Um, I'll, I'll get to some of the more obvious stuff in a minute. But, um, you know, that, that his costume is a little bit silly uh, in terms of, like, those oversized boots. You've got those sort of, you know, gigantic steel cap boots, um, the, the huge knee pads and all that. And, and that's all captured really, really well. Um, the, uh, the badge in particular has... Uh, some really nice detail on it. His name uh, is very, very clear. You've got the nice sort of etching in that. Um, there's some really good drapery and things like his gloves. Um, I think they've done about as well as they can with that sort of faux leather bodysuit uh, at this scale. I think that's it's quite an achievement that they've done what they've done. Uh, you know, it doesn't actually pinch anywhere around his thighs or, or in sort of the groin area. Uh, I think really for me, mine only sort of pinches where they've added the um, elbow pads uh and the the elastic that's holding them on is sort of pinching the 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 leather a little bit but other than that it it actually sits on this torso really well probably not as good from the back you can kind of see it in um, the hip joints from the back but Mm. certainly from the front it's actually really quite effective um but a lot of really nice detail in in that sculpting from the pouches uh and the the um, belt buckle, etc. Uh, the belt is actually a separate piece. I know so it, it moves around, and you can sort of, if it gets out of line, you can sort of twist it back around. Yes. Um, some, some really groovy stuff in the gloves, but uh, best thing of all is that head. I'm really happy about the belt not being a kind of bit you have to put on. Yeah. Um, the the Star Trek stuff, and I, I think one of the reasons why the belt on the Star Trek figures. Um, comes separate is because it's optional. Um, mm. and, but they're very fiddly, um, to try and kind of attach together. So I was really happy when I saw that this did, um, not come like that. <laughs> That's yeah. Um, I think they've done a great job on the helmet and the, the face in particular. Uh, that, uh, that grimace that Dread does where the corners of his mouth sort of, uh, you know, sit down has been captured beautifully. Um, he really does have that sort of, you know, that Dread chin. Um, and the, probably the most interesting thing of all for this figure uh, is it's a, a well-known fact that we've never seen Dread without his helmet other than sort of um, from, you know, either from behind or in shadows or, or something like that. But if you look really carefully under the faceplate of the helmet, you can actually see a couple of eyes. Um, and I think that's actually really clever because the uh, part of the, the I guess, the, the visor in the helmet, which um, has the lightning bolts uh, very nicely painted on it, um, you can actually sort of see through that. And from certain angles, you can tell that there are eyes under there. So that was a, a really interesting design choice to just not have that, you know, sort of opaque that you can't see through. But I, I don't think when you look under the helmet and you can see the eyes, you can't sort of get a a really good sense of, of what Dread looks like. So I think they found a really good balance of not giving too much away, but also being able to sort of add that extra element of realism of mm. adding eyes. Yeah. No, it's, it's really nicely done. Yeah. I just, I think that the fabrication of that helmet is very clever. Like it's, it's very slick in the way it's done. The, the plastic on that, um, those lenses is really, really nicely done. So look, I don't have any complaints from a, a, a I guess a, a Dread 
fan fan point I, I think the costume has been done really really well they've captured all the elements you know those ridiculously oversized um shoulder pads uh, etc the the knee pads those huge boots it's it's all there uh, and and they've done just a great job um I, I like how there's actually enough play in those magnets that when you do move the limbs around um you know the eagle moves uh, with it, so it gives you some free play. So if you lift his right arm up to, yeah, to yeah. sort of point his gun, the, the eagle moves with it. But, um, you know, if you get a bit too carried away where it might actually fall off, the magnet just sort of clicks it back into place, which is cool. It's the perfect solution to something that could have been really unwieldy and restrictive. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, all right, well, in terms of uh, paint, um, there's there's quite a lot going on. At first, it doesn't really feel like it because you've got that sort of faux leather suit, which takes up the majority of the body, uh, and then everything else is just green. Um, and so if it's not green, it's gold. And um, I think they've actually done a pretty good job. Obviously, there's a, a bit of a wash over the top of the green, particularly on things like the gloves and the, the knee pads. But... Um, They've done some sort of a, a gentle dry brush on the boots, so the the tips of the shoes um, have sort of that uh, dirty, grimy sort of feel to it, and you know this uh, that seems to go all the way around the bottom of the shoes. So there's nice uh, washes giving that worn feel, I guess, to the green bits. It's a little bit sloppy in places on mine, but um, it's quite effective. Yeah, no, it, it's really well done. I think the the detail on the the sculpting of the pieces provides some nice texture to make the wash really uh, work well. Yeah, I don't I don't feel like they've actually cheated anywhere. Like those knee pads have actually got a really good um, rough kind of surface to them. They they haven't. Um, you know, skimped on that. But even things like the, I guess, the, the, the shin um, parts of his boots, which uh, are effectively flat surfaces, they could have cheated a bit there. But instead, uh, they've got some battle damage there and there's assorted sort of nicks and chunks uh, out of those. And, you know, same for the boots. So uh, I actually, even mine and the knee pads have got a couple of little um, chunks taken out yeah, and yeah, sculpted. Yeah. So yeah. that's And, and really what cool. they've done really nicely, done really well with, the sculpting of this with things like the knee pads and the boots is even though they are sculpted pieces, they look uh, like they've got some give to them, like um, they look padded, you know, in, in that sense yeah. as, they, as they would be um, in, in real life-ish. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, yeah, and I mean the uh, the gold pieces are, I think, are the, the the nice contrast to that. Instead, we've got um, some some very uh, smooth paint done for those the gold eel and the the shoulder pad. Um, the black wash on mines are probably a little bit on the enthusiastic side. I, I probably would have um, uh, dialed that back a little bit, but certainly it's not enough to uh, distract me at all. No. To, all right, well, let's talk about some articulation. Uh, I, you, you would normally assume that a, a figure like this with the um, mixed media sort of bodysuit and all that sort of thing might be a bit restricted in articulation, but I was pleasantly surprised at just how much this guy moves. Um, the first thing is, uh, you know, I got stuck into those legs and noticed that he's got uh, double-jointed knees, um, and you can bend that heel right back and around, and the the – costume doesn't actually interfere with yeah. that movement so not, neither the the faux leather or the the knee pad so that's um that was a pretty good accomplishment I, i'm sure somewhere on the uh interweb someone has done a 
um, stripped down of one of these bucks. And uh, I, I'd be keen to, to see it just to really see the articulation uh, because th- that to me is just the making mm. of this. You know, in, in theory, and I was talking to you before the the show that just budget-wise with other things happening, this is a, you know, a line that I have to sometimes kind of think, can I really do this? Um, but when... I sit and you know, look at one of these in detail. It's, you know, the, the articulation combined with the level of detail that just makes me love this line so much. Yeah. Um, because you're, it's, you, you would think that it would be restricted, but they've done just a brilliant job of, uh, preventing that. Absolutely. Uh, and, and I really, uh, I thought maybe that the knees would be, you know, maybe the, the exception, but I just kept going and, um wow like he he has this great head movement you can if you move the the zip down a little bit um for for the, the sort of the jumpsuit you can actually get that that chin down a little bit but what surprised me the most is when you actually tilt that head backwards the helmet doesn't actually restrict and and you can actually get him to to sort of really look up um quite well uh, and there's a good sort of lean uh, lateral lean as well and of course obviously you know twisting it from left to right so really really good head movement there's nothing actually restricting that at all brilliant hmm. brilliant um yes double jointed elbows uh, shoulders as you'd expect there's a um there's a bicep cut too that allows you to sort of rotate the arm um there's actually a really good uh ab crunch i think that one's probably a little bit restricted in, in and that's just the nature of the the costume um getting in the way of that but at least it's there um same goes for the legs for the the normal sort of t crotch but then there's a, a a thigh cut fairly high up that allows that sort of rotating um i think for me the one that's probably the biggest letdown are the the, the ankle rockers or, or lack thereof. Huh. Yeah, I, I find there's not a lot of movement in those ankles at all. I can get a little bit up and down and a little bit left and right, but, um, yeah, that's the most restrictive joints uh, yeah. he has, I think. Yeah. He's still, like, I'm not kind of finding much uh, that I can't do in terms of the way that I would want to pose him. Um, yeah. But... Yeah, and I can't think off the top of my head whether or not some of the others do have more movement there because obviously his uh, boots and the shoe bit of his boot is really chunky. Yes, he does have rather chunky, yes. Um, you I wouldn't want him to soon. step on your toes if he was your dance partner, that's for sure. No, no, that's for sure. No. Um, yeah, I have no troubles getting him to stand. I think he uh, he's sort of uh, – those feet are just so big that it gives him a, a pretty good grip on the earth and uh, he's standing just fine. Um all right, well, moving on to some accessories. Uh, boy, this is where I think you get your, your money's worth. It's hard to sort of complain. Uh, he naturally comes with uh, the, well, at least the hands that mine uh, have uh, attached are uh, the uh, gun hand, I think you'd call it. So his right hand has that sort of pistol grip with the finger ready for the trigger, and the, yep. the left hand is kind of similar. And that was the default out of the packaging one. Uh, he comes with a couple of fists. If you uh, choose to have him uh, punching out his uh, opponents, uh, he has a swap out right hand, which is the uh, "Hey, I'm talking to you" finger pointing <laughs> um, type one. And what would you call that last hand? It's kind of that open gesturing one. Yeah, I'm appreciative of these uh, coming with the hands that you're most likely to want to use actually on. 
and, mm. you know, not with just the kind of default relaxed hand thing that for, you know, most characters with weapons and things is pretty unlikely for you to want to use. Yeah. So I haven't actually swapped mine at all. I've just used the ones that were on because that's what I wanted. Yeah, and I think that uh, obviously will lend itself to the weapons. I think that sixth hand, it's kind of like a, a sort of an open hand. It's not really a karate chop hand. It's more of a uh, I'm getting tired. How long is my coffee going to take tapping my fingers on the countertop kind of hand? That's a long um, name for a hand. It is. And they're so tiny. Oh, they're so tiny. Yeah, They're so tiny. Everything about this is tiny. I know we're talking about 112 uh, as opposed to 1 sixth. But everything is just tiny. It's uh, the, I'm almost afraid of, of losing some of these hands. So uh, yeah, su- there is such a that's what she said opportunity here. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> He's got big feet. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we get six hands uh, that you can choose. Um, with the hands in the packaging are some Judge Dread handcuffs, um, which actually work. They're, they're quite nifty. I'm quite impressed with those. They've tried mine out. (laughs) They're very large and chunky. Um, They fold in half, which is nice. So you can actually sort of attach them, but um, they're they're very, very large and imposing. Um, They do open and close, which is actually quite nice. But uh, I'll talk about the handcuffs later because uh, it just happens to coincide with what else we're talking about. Um, He comes with a knife, which you can slip into a sheath on his left left calf. He comes with a – uh, his Lawgiver pistol. Now, for those long-time fans of Dread, there are sort of two versions of the Lawgiver. This is the more modern one. Um, this isn't sort of the long, skinny-barreled one. Um, he holds that quite well, and if you don't actually want it uh, in his hand, it does actually slip into a holster on his right calf. So somewhere for both of those weapons, which is nice. Yep. Um, and there's even more. You mm-hmm. get um, two little grenades which slip into loops on the back of his belt if you are game enough to do such things. I think because I'll never actually sort of pose him, so you're looking at the back of him, I'll just leave them in the box. And <laughs> Well, th- I put mine in because I one of the things I really like about this is that the majority of his accessories he can actually have on. Um, yeah. And so I was like, okay, well, you know, because often – you get a lot of stuff, but it's, you know, single use. And if you don't want to pose it with that, you know, being the centerpiece, you can't use it sort of thing. So I was very appreciative of the, you know, his, the place to put the lawgiver as well if you didn't want him holding hmm. it. Yeah, so very good. Yeah. Uh, now, he has a number of sculpted pouches on that belt, but one of them at the back is actually open, and he comes with a spare magazine for um, the the lawgiver, and you can slip that into the back as well. So it's a bit of a shame that those two grenades and that spare magazine are actually uh, on the back where you can't see them, but it is actually nice to to put them there. And not only did I actually do that, but I also worked out what it was, and I was very impressed with myself. (laughs) Good on you. I know. I'm growing up. As a self-confessed non-accessories person. I know. (laughs) A non-weapon person. (laughs) And I have saved the worst for last. <laughs> and that is his Judge Dread. What are you, you know, uh, did you just uh, you know, talk back to me, boy? Now I'm going to, you know, beat you with my baton. Um, Dread has uh, often used his baton, and we get a, a nifty little Judge Dread baton here, and you can put it in his hand ready to, um, you know, beat some punks on the street. 
Um, however, when you want to draw the lawgiver pistol to wield justice, um, you don't have anywhere to put the baton. Well, what do you mean I don't have anywhere to put the baton? That seems silly. Just put it in the loop on his belt. How did you go with yours? Didn't even try. No. <laughs> so that belt that we talked about, which is you know very funky and holds grenades and spare magazines and all that sort of thing, um, has a, a little loop that comes off the side with a metal ring. And obviously you're meant to slide the uh, baton through the little loop. Um, there's a kind of little indentation in uh, the baton towards the bottom, which I think is meant to catch on the loop. And, uh, yeah, I, I certainly struggle to get mine into that metal loop to the point where I, I think I'm really going to have to force it and I'm worried because this is such a delicate figure that it's just going to break. So for now, uh, I just don't have the baton in there because I'm just, yeah, I'm just too worried that I'm actually going to damage it. Yep, fair enough. Fair enough. So there, so that's a, a bit of a letdown, I think. Yeah, I mean – I, I, probably because I don't have the kind of same character context, I just kind of looked at that and went, ah, oh, I like the gun better, and, <laughs> you know, didn't kind of worry about it, but I, yeah. I, I get that. I mean, I did uh, um, have a little go at it, but I can see what you mean. Yeah, a little bit frustrating. So um, I think that pretty much brings us to the end of yeah. the Dread figure. Uh, I think, um, you know, my disappointments are around uh, the baton and certainly the oversized packaging. However, you know, I think the figure itself is uh, just a, a masterpiece of engineering in terms of getting that that buck under uh, that bodysuit and, and still make it sort of reasonably functional. Um, and, and, of course, that uh, that sculpt, that head sculpt is just spot on, absolutely spot on. It is, and, and I'm... I really like that um, they did this piece uh, early on as well because I think that uh, this and things like you know, Frankenstein, etc., are the sort of thing that made me really interested in this line because you kind of got the sense of, oh, this is going to be really eclectic and you can cherry pick what you want, but there's also something just uh, nice about having them together and the theme is – not necessarily the properties, but just the the medium. Yeah. Um, so uh, you know, I think um, we are yet to see a, a female character that isn't from a movie. So they've you know got a Harley Quinn coming out. They've solicited a uh, Wonder Woman from the uh, film as well. Um, but you know, in terms of just a comic. Um, property mm. uh, like not yet um and uh, i'll be really keen to see what happens there i don't really want either of those movie yep. figures yep. but i'm keen to see what the kind of female um i don't know if there really is a buck i think they are doing more individual sculpts but you know yeah. what, what that's like and where they go with that but i i don't think particularly at the price point that this is really a universe builder thing yeah you know this yeah. is more oh okay they made this character and i really like it um thing and that's cool so um i'm glad i've got this absolutely uh, i'm very impressed and very happy that i that i picked it up um i having said that uh, i think i really hope mezco step up uh and 
continue this line. I hope it's not limited to just Dread himself. I know 3A, uh, who also did their own uh, one twelve scale Judge Dread that, that Justin picked up, um, have also started on the Dark Judges. Yeah. Um, and so I'm sort of looking at those and thinking, oh, gosh, you know, do I pick them up now in case they're suddenly, you know, they skyrocket on the secondary market? Um, you know, are Mezco actually going to do that? So I, I think, you know, Mezco owe it to fans to sort of start feeding us information. Hopefully at Toy Fair we get a bit more information uh, about where this line is going. And, and certainly, you know, if we do venture down the road of uh, female characters with a, a couple of good female bucks, then, you know, Cy Judge Anderson is certainly um, top of the want list for me. Uh-uh. So, but... Speaking of uh, want lists. So in addition to the good judge, I have gone and acquired his trusty steed. That is the Lawmaster Judge Dredd's trusty motorbike. And boy, howdy, this is an absolute beast. Uh, I picked up the Mezco version to go with my Mezco Dread, keeping in mind that 3A Toys have also produced their own 112 scale Lawmaster. Uh, I did actually consider the other version at uh, one particular point in time. Uh, I didn't go with the Mezco bike just because I've got the Mezco Dread. Uh, I just think that the Mezco bike is the, uh, the more up to date version and I think the aesthetics are just a little bit more, uh, you know, appeal a little bit more to, to me. Um, the 3A1 is very nice, but it's that very, very classic uh, Lawmaster with the really high handlebars, etc. Uh, not to mention the Mezco one, I think, just wins out uh, in terms of the uh, the extras, which I'll get to a little bit later. In terms of packaging, uh, not that much different to the Dread figure himself. Very nice graphics on the outside, looks quite slick. Uh, this guy will actually set you back about 125 US dollars. Now, keeping in mind that there are multiple versions of the Lawmaster, just like there are Dread, so if you uh, are going to choose one you might want to sort of stay consistent with the uh, colour scheme dread that you've picked up. Now, interesting about the packaging. Uh, I wasn't ready for this, but when I opened the box, I found it actually contains a split uh, foam insert. Now, by foam, I don't mean that the white styrene that holds your Blu-ray player in place uh, when you uh, inside the, the box, etc. This is actually the dark grey, black, squishy foam. Uh, that you find here and there. And what it is, uh, a giant block of foam that is uh, nicely split in half, and you gently prise them apart, and there's the Lawmaster held uh, really nicely uh, inside in a nice sort of die-cut shape uh, that fits the, the Lawmaster perfectly. And uh, I actually think that's pretty amazing. It's um, It certainly protects it very, very well. And I actually can't remember the last figure I bought that actually comes with the squishy foam insert uh, I was really racking my brain trying to remember, and possibly it was my Enterbay Leon, which was some years ago, so quite impressive. Um, so, look, do have a little bit of caution when you take that foam apart that, uh, you know, it's not upside down or something like that and the bike falls out. It does fit quite snugly, but uh, just, you know, keep an eye on what you're doing. All right, well, the bike comes out, and the first thing you notice is, boy, howdy, this is uh, this is a beast. It's got some serious weight to it. I was trying to understand where the weight actually comes from. Now, there are some uh, extra features that require batteries, which I'll talk about uh, in accessories, but uh, I, I think it's a combination of sort of the electronic components, but uh, the tyres are really quite hefty. There's some serious chunk to these tyres. Obviously, Dred's bike is exaggerated, so it's got these enormous tyres. But um, they are actually rubber. I think what we've got is sort of the, the plastic rim, uh, which is actually attached to the bike, but then the, the 
tyre is uh, rubber or simulated rubber. It's certainly um, got some give to it just ever so slightly. So I think they did say simulated rubber or something like that. Uh, and I think the two tyres, being as big as they are, have some really serious heft. So um, I guess this kind of adds to making you feel like you're getting your money's worth. I mean, 125 US dollars, you know, that's six Marvel Legends figures. You really need to sort of get some bang for your buck. And this is quite a, a hefty, hefty item, which is very impressive. Now, in terms of sculpt, uh, as I mentioned, this is sort of the newer version of the Lawmaster. It's a lot more sleek um, and, and very aesthetically pleasing. I think they've done an absolutely amazing job on this. Um, the main bike itself is very cool, but where I, I think it really uh, stands out is the fact that the, uh, I guess, uh, mechanics on the side of it that incorporate the machine guns, etc., have been really, really well done. There's lots of little bits and round bits and square bits and rivets and that sort of thing. I don't think much of it makes sense, um, but it certainly looks very, very cool. Um, you've got this sort of enormous fender down the front where the, the judge sort of eagle type thing is, is mounted. That's really nicely done. It's very well balanced. And, you know, it's just rounded out with some really clever stuff like you've got the um, console that Dread can look at, the seat has kind of like a simulated sort of pattern, uh, a pattern on it that sort of gives you that faux leather kind of thing. It is actually plastic, but it does actually look like a, a leather seat. Really nifty exhausts down the back. Um, and I think what complements that really, really well is all the lights are actually made of clear plastic. So the tail lights are a clear red plastic and the lights at the front are that uh, clear white clear plastic so really really nice sculpt amazing uh it's very very it's quite large so it's quite imposing um dread sort of looks uh quite menacing on it because the bike is so big i, I think it's certainly not undersized at all i think they've really nailed the scale perfectly uh, now in terms of paint um there's not a, a huge amount going on what there is is some really nice touches the tire the rubber tires themselves uh, have some dry brushing on them just to sort of give you the impression of some dirt and some wear and tear. Um, there's certainly uh, scratches and dents and all that in the fenders and they've uh, given those a little bit of a silver highlight just to sort of indicate the paint's been sort of scratched off as part of the damage. Uh, there's damage kind of all over the bike really. Um, the uh, the eagle or crest or whatever you want to call it that's sort of on the top of the bike is done. It's actually cast in a metallic gold plastic, but there's just a very, very gentle black wash in the, the grooves to sort of help those uh, bits on it stand out a bit more. Now, the real highlight of the painting on this is uh, on the aforementioned uh, metallic gizmos where the machine guns and stuff are. What they've actually done is painted that a really nice base uh, dark metallic grey and then used a silver to dry brush over the top to sort of really bring out the highlights. I think there's a little bit of sort of wash in the, the recesses going on as well. Um, and there's even uh, a sort of a, a rust colour that's just been sort of dry brushed here and there just to give it that kind of mud slash... Um, you know, rusty sort of appearance. So it actually looks like it's been, you know, used in battle as there's quite a bit of wear going on. So that's very, very clever. So uh, visually very impressive. I really can't fault this item at all. It's uh, it's very imposing. But on to the good bit. Oh, actually, ah, I forgot to mention, I did actually mention this earlier when we were talking about Dread and I meant we were talking about the handcuffs. There is actually a little uh, panel at the back of the bike on the top that actually lifts up. And uh, we mentioned that there wasn't anywhere on Dread 
Fred to put his handcuffs. And I don't know whether it was a deliberate um, idea to do this, but when the flap lifts up on the back of the bike, there's actually an area that fits the handcuffs perfectly. I think it's designed uh, specifically to hold those. So you can pop those in there and close the flap and, and keep them safe. So very, very cool. All right, the best bit, uh, four, AA, uh, four AAA batteries that come with the bike, which is really cool. It's always nice when you, know, you don't see that battery's not included thing. You get to throw those in straight away rather than sort of rummaging through the house for assorted batteries. Um, I wasn't sure exactly what did what to begin with. I just sort of threw the batteries on uh, in and turned it on, and boy, I had a, a whole lot of fun doing that. So when you turn the guy on... All right, that was the uh, the machine gun sounding on the bike. And uh, what we have is another button on the opposite side. That is the uh, cannons. So we've got cannons and we've got machine guns. Um, very cool. The buttons are very, very discreet. They're um, built onto the side, I guess, down where Dred's legs would actually um, cover them. So uh, you'd have to be careful sort of posing him and then wanting to you know, play with the buttons because they're quite subtle in the way they're done. Um, there's also buttons on the side of the fuel tank. which I probably should have done first, that's Dred's bike actually starting up. So when you, you kick that the you kick off uh, the bike with that sound, that's the engine starting, and then... The badge button on the other side of the fuel tank gives you the, uh, the sound of the bike sort of taking off. So obviously um, the bike starting up... Driving away... firing the machine gun and firing the cannon. So awesome stuff. Um, so all of those buttons, there's four in total that do the sounds, are very, very discreet. The, the weapons are actually down the bottom on uh, the sides, quite subtle, and the startup sound and the drive-away sound are on the sides of the fuel tank, but the buttons actually look kind of like... Um, judge badges so they really blend in beautifully now in addition in addition to that there's uh, three buttons on the top of the fuel tank so sort of perfectly aligned with the top of the tank and to begin with you'd probably actually think that these are um, just part of the sculpt but when i press the top button what happens is the main headlight on the bike so that's the one right up the top um, between the handlebars lights up and it stays on and that's the, the main headlight if i push the middle button or the second button the running lights down the front of the bike of which there's four uh, also light up so there's actually five lights just at the front um, doing that now that second button also lights up the tail lights at the back so we end up with three bright red tail lights going which is very cool so that's all the lights uh, lit up all uh, eight of them so you're probably wondering what the bottom light does well, when I press that bottom button, the uh, the display on the bike actually lights up, and there's all these really cool graphics that um, you know show how fast Dred's going and what the current ammo reserves are and and whatnot. So the really cool thing about that is they're all controlled by separate buttons, so you can choose as many uh, as you want, um, as opposed to sort of having one button that lights them all up, which I think is actually very very cool. So what it does allow for is some 
really good sort of flexibility in what you actually want to do with the bike. You can sort of have as many or as few things going at once. So I actually think that's very cool. We're looking at multiple sounds, multiple lights, really cool interactivity in, in terms of how you actually control them. Um, there's really not much to complain about with this at all. I mean, I, I'm truly loving this. I think really the only thing you probably need to be careful of is that um, – the, the wheels actually, are, they run really, really well. There's the, the uh, obviously got really good bearings in them. So you actually have to be careful if you're posing this guy. The last thing you want to do is get Dredd on the bike, get him set up, uh, and then you turn around to reach for your camera and find the Lawmaster is actually rolling away. Um, so you do have to sort of keep it on a flat surface. Now, there is a kickstand uh, on the left-hand side of the bike, which you can put down, which gives it a little bit of stability. Um, it does kind of add as a bit of, you know, it adds a bit of resistance uh, to stop it rolling but I really wouldn't be depending on that at all um, you'd probably be better off chocking it while you're uh, sort of getting it set up all right now in addition to that what is really cool is he comes with two extra hands now we mentioned that there were six hands with the actual dread figure and you actually get two that are exclusive to the bike and of course they are bike riding hands so what it allows dread to do is not only hold on to those handlebars but the you've got the um, the the levers like the clutch lever etc and um, he can put his hands on those quite well. Now, for the amount of money you're paying, you really want Dread to uh, to fit onto this bike, and that he does. Um, you know, with similar sorts of things in, in cheaper lines of figures, uh, it can be really, really hard to get people on their bikes. We've seen that with some of the Marvel Legends figures, the Blade and Ghost Rider, etc. Um, but this actually works well. The the articulation that Dread has really allows him to sit on that seat, get those hands up onto the handlebars, um, and even get his feet onto the foot pegs, which are neatly hidden behind the backs of the guns um, you can actually sort of have him sitting half on the bike with one foot on the ground uh, it really is fantastic in, in terms of um, that flexibility uh, if you can't tell by now I'm actually blown away by this uh, I think you know I've, you do have to keep it in perspective that it is 125 US dollars worth and, and that's an awful lot for access, uh, an accessory um, but I, I think you know we've been pretty starved in the 112 format for accessories there's really not much going on uh, and this is a really welcome addition uh, and if this is the quality that Mezco are putting together for this sort of thing then I really just can't wait to see what they do next amazing stuff awesome well I, I'm glad that you got that I think that um you know it's probably too much for my collection and my level of interest in the character but I <laughs> um you know think that uh, it's definitely got some worthwhile points and uh, you've given people some stuff to think about and I think that means that our job here is done Indeed it is. Hooray. Good stuff. Hooray. And so I will take a short break and we will hand over to Eddie to um, do his bit and wrap up the show. And so we'll say bye. 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 Hi, guys. It's Eddie here. As Scotty mentioned in the beginning of the episode, this is a little bit of a special episode for me. Uh, it's 100 episodes since I joined the show. And, well, I'm a bit of a narcissist and I have a bit of an ego on me. Uh, so I was trying to think of something uh, I could do for my 100th show uh, that would still deliver you guys some content. And 
for those who don't know, before I joined the show, uh, I was a very big fan of the show, and I'm still a big fan of the episodes that I'm not on. <laughs> um, uh, and one episode that I really regret not being on is a toy history of Hellboy. Uh, now, I haven't had much of an opportunity to talk about Hellboy since being on the show. There hasn't been too much coming out. But I am a huge, huge Hellboy fan. Uh, now I'm kind of known as the Deadpool guy on the show. Uh, but Hellboy is very close uh, to my Deadpool love. Deadpool kind of probably ekes him out uh, just in being more consistent over the years and uh, being a part of my life for longer, uh, but I always sort of view a trinity of my characters that I'm into being uh, Deadpool for Marvel, Hal Jordan for DC, and Hellboy for the Independence. But uh, there was easily a time that Hellboy was my favourite character, and it was around the later half of my high school year, so I actually identify a lot of my later high school years with Hellboy. Uh, me and my mate uh, Tommy, uh, who I talked about quite a bit on that uh, episode where we talked about using uh, bits and pieces from around the house to make things like uh, G.I. Joe bases and stuff like that, me and him were big Blade fans, and uh, we obviously went and saw the new Blade film, what was new at the time, Blade 2, that was directed by a director I hadn't come across yet. I'd seen trailers for his previous film, Mimic, but had never really watched any of his work, and really loved Blade 2. I actually reckon it was uh, far superior to the original Blade film, even though I love that one, and really dug that movie. And I remember buying the DVD as soon as it came out, even though it cost like $40, because that's how much DVDs used to cost here. And I was just absorbed with the special features and the audio commentary. And they pointed out that a young actor in that film, uh, who was relatively unknown, uh, though quite well known these days, as Daryl Dixon on Walking Dead, but Norman Reedus was wearing a BPRD shirt, and that was a clue to Guillermo's next film that he was planning. And then I went and researched and found out that that was a reference to Hellboy. So I had only just discovered uh, city comic stores at this point. I had been to a comic store here and there, uh, but uh, really... I'd worked out at this point in my life I was able to uh, hop on a train from my country town if I had a whole day, uh, be able to get into the city and go explore comic shops. And I just discovered this new comic store recently because I had some great World of Simpsons toys and I was big into that line at the time. And I went in there and I went up to the guy behind the counter and said, hey, mate, do you know anything about Hellboy? Uh, little did I know that that man behind the counter was a man very famous in the Melbourne comic book scene and his name is Mitchell Davies and he is uh, one of the owners and managers of a store where talk about quite frequently now uh, all-star comics but this was just back when he was a lowly comic book store uh, clerk himself but he is a huge Hellboy fan as well uh, so I just 
clicked the right button for him and he started going off, showing me all the things that I should read, really delving deep. And just the passion that he talked about this character really made me twig, oh, something really cool is going on here. So I picked up uh, a whole bunch of Hellboy trades that day, and they were beautiful. They were these uh, nice sort of glossy print. I mean, Dark Horse does wonderful jobs with their trades, and I was just absorbed in them. Uh, I really didn't even have too many trades at this point. Trades were uh, still a very uh, original merging uh, medium. And I really got in and just absorbed these trades. And they were going into dark folklore. And uh, when you're that emo, like, 16-year-old college kid, you're like, oh, this is just, oh, this really gets me. This is deep. Oh, look at this. Such new worlds being opened up and uh, some great noir storytelling. And I just really uh, loved the world of Hellboy and the use of folklore. I was a big uh, loved folklore as a kid. We used to have these great books in our library that were just like encyclopedias on mythical creatures and they used a lot of that in the Hellboy like I remember there's a bit on sort of the uh, iron shoes and that was something I remember reading years ago as a kid in one of these encyclopedias and the red caps and all these little bits and pieces using uh, saints bones uh, as uh, little ornaments and just wonderful wonderful character really got absorbed into that world so much I did book reports uh, on the Conqueror Worm uh, I was that much into it I even ended up buying up my own BPRD shirt and I wore that shirt pretty much every single day I was like Kevin Smith I just had that one uniform uh, to the point I look back at pictures of me uh, in the later part of high school and it's pretty much guaranteed I'm going to be wearing that BPRD shirt and eventually the film came around I got really absorbed into that and the film was great because it allowed me a chance to get a whole bunch of great uh, Hellboy action figures. And that's really why we're here to talk right now, is talking about Hellboy action figures. Now, the film was not the first time you had a chance to get a Hellboy action figure. There was a Hellboy action figure released in the early part of the 2000s by Big Blast Studios. To be honest, I can't even remember when, what year this was officially released. These are the guys who did uh, a lot of the Jane Silent Bob figures, and they did a line based on independent comic heroes. So there was Madman, there was Mage, there was Grendel, uh, the Spirit, and of course Hellboy. Now I have unfortunately lost my basic version of the Hellboy from Big Blast. But I do have my one of him wearing his BPRD shirt, which I just love. That's just really great. And this figure is actually really good. They did a really good job uh, of capturing uh, Mike Mignola's art with this very basic sculpt design. So I actually do still recommend this figure uh, to this day. Out of all of them, I'll get into the Mike Mignola sculpting a little bit here, but out of the ones, there's something about these that uh, they captured it with a bunch of really basic, um, there's next to no paint detail uh, on this guy. It's mainly in the sculpt, and they did a really good job of capturing sort of the early art designs of Hellboy uh, here. But the first time I was really able to buy a line of figures was the 
uh, Guillermo del Toro, Ron Perlman Hellboy movie. And I remember going into another comic store and seeing them from the time because this was back in a time where we really didn't know that these were coming out. They just appeared in the store one day in these big clamshell packaging and uh, it was fantastic. I was very excited. Now, unfortunately, I was a high school student, so I did uh, have to struggle a bit money-wise to pick these up. And in fact, the first ones I brought weren't even the figures that I really wanted. That uh, honour went to a Hellboy uh, that they released where he was just wearing uh, his black clothing. He didn't come with a trench coat and he didn't have his shirt off, uh, but he was a Hellboy figure I was able to buy singly. And also... I was able to get an Abe Sapien uh, where he was completely covered in his black wetsuit. I did this because comic stores at the time were doing a thing, and they still kind of do it now, uh, where you had to buy the entire way for the most part. Unless the, they came with sort of extra figures in the case, you were down for buying the whole wave if you wanted pretty much all of the figures. It was a way that they could uh, make sure that you didn't um, leave those ones that nobody wanted uh, on the shelves. So uh, these two figures were versions that I was able to get because obviously they were uh, extra packed in the case. And... I remember the Hellboy of these ones being a bit weird because there were so many different variants <laughs> released because you had a neutral face, you had a snarling face, you had an open right hand of doom, you had a closed right hand of doom. And it isn't like today where you'd get swap out hands and swappable heads. You had to buy a different figure. So you could potentially find a Hellboy figure that had the snarling face but the closed hand and then the exact same figure with the closed hand but neutral face and vice versa, all the different versions of that you could get. And then there were different Hellboys. So you also had the Hellboy uh, with his trench coat on on the Hellboy uh, that's uh, smoking his cigar, the Hellboy with horns that was a previews exclusive. Now, to be honest, I think from memory the Hellboy with horns uh, is just the snarling face and the closed hands. I could be wrong on that. He was the first guy kind of released. He was the previews exclusive one, but the comic store that I eventually got these from was selling him as part of the big set. Uh, so just to run through for you, the first wave of this movie line came with two Abe Sapiens. There was one uh, with his gear off, and you're seeing his fishy body, and one in the full black uh, wetsuit. Now, this guy actually did have swappable heads. He uh, had one with his goggles on and you could attach his sort of neck breathing apparatus gear because in the film universe he actually breathed water. And one with his gear off when he's in swimming mode, which is much more the Abe Sapien look as you know from the comics. There was also a Rasputin figure, and he's really cool. He comes with sort of this rubbery uh, big gown, and you can slide that off, and he comes with his big mechanical uh, portal fist. Now, they only went with one in the movie as opposed to the comic, where he has two to sort of allude more to the right-handed Doom, and there's some 
excellent sculpting detail uh, on his little like power glove there to summon the portal from hell to summon Hellboy out. You also had Cronin, who was the uh, Nazi sort of sand clockwork, uh, sort of a clockwork uh, zombie character. Now, this guy is from the comics, but they uh, did sort of uh, change him up a bit uh, for the film. He becomes much more of a weird Guillermo del Toro monster uh, than just a Nazi scientist in a gas mask like he is in the comics. But you get sort of him in his fighting outfit. So this is him more later on uh, in the film, very bare basics posing. But this guy I remember being incredible because I wasn't expecting this when I brought the figure, but the gas mask actually comes off and you've got the uh, horrible zombie head underneath and there's some incredible paintwork and sculpting detail in that and he's quite creepy. He is the thing of nightmares under there. So if you've only seen this figure with the mask on, definitely Google that because that, that is one uh, crazy creepy figure there. Now, you've also got the Hellboy with the trench coat on. And this trench coat's great. It's like an old uh, uh, dries a bone duster one with the flaps that come over the side. And the one with the trench coat is weirdly the more deluxe figure because he also comes with the corpse, which is that uh, Russian guy who pulls out the ground and uh, brings him back to life to help point him uh, to the grave in the film. Now, this is based off uh, one of the more famous Hellboy stories known as the corpse. So uh, I was definitely a fan once I had saved up enough to buy the whole lot of these figures, uh, particularly just to get this trench coat Hellboy, because it is the iconic look, and also to get this figure, the corpse, that came packed with him. So it was kind of a two-pack all for one. So I can understand why this was the Hellboy uh, in the set there that they wanted to sell. Now, they also had an army builder in this first wave. You had the monstrous creature, uh, Al Samael, which is kind of the movie's version of uh, the Plague of Frogs. And he's a real creepy monster, just pure Guillermo del Toro, a little bit of Cthulhu in here, a little bit of gorilla. Uh, now, <laughs> my one of these, uh, I got two of them. And they both have uh, problems. Uh, now, he's got this weird sort of fin whisker fish thing on the side of his face. Uh, he's got two on either side. Now, the first one I brought actually only came with one. Uh, there's a pa It's a piece that's meant to be glued onto his face, and there's not even glue marks in that little hole there. So he never had it attached, and it was the side in the packet uh, that wasn't even uh, there to see if... You were buying it off the shelf. And when I actually got these, I hadn't seen the film. The film was delayed from release here in Australia. Uh, so I actually, as shameful as it is to admit, had a pirated version of the film eventually that I watched a dozen or so times before it finally got released in Australian cinemas uh, for me to watch. But I still went and brought my ticket and went and paid uh, twice to see it at the movies. I was that big of a Hellboy fan. Uh, so even though I had a pirated copy, I did still... Uh, to my part to uh, give it in at the box office. I don't uh, condone pirating films in any manner, but uh, this was a case of I just couldn't wait to see this film. Uh, but he is a uh, really cool designed uh, figure. There's a lot of great sculpting details, all sorts of patterns all over his body. Um, 
But, yeah, he was missing a fin on one face, so I did get another one because I'm like, oh, you know what, he's not quite right, but I can get another one. And there, it's a bit of an army builder anyway, so it's justified in my head. Got the other one, and he's actually got a uh, right hand where his left hand should be. So it's this weird three-finger hand, so it's obviously upside down. Uh, but he's actually got an extendable claw feature on his right hand. So there's the piece where that should go that's not in there as well. So it stands out quite prominent. Uh, so both of my figures of Al Samael are just kind of weird and messed up. And that's just kind of strange, but uh, cool there at the same time. Now, my favorite figure here uh, in this first wave is the battle-damaged Hellboy. Uh, so for those of you who have seen the film, uh, spoiler alert if you haven't, uh, he sort of gets tied up uh, in the uh, stocks and chains and uh, gets one of those big pieces of wooden board uh, put across him and it's got uh, the writing of his full name and there's an incarnation that uh, Rasputin's doing and you get this whole wooden piece and it actually clips in the iron bars come across so you can uh, steal him into the uh, stock there time up and he's just got some wonderful detail here so he's got blood across his face and they've used a nice sort of shiny paint to convey the blood so it really stands out and seems like blood's coming out of him there he's got a trench coat that's all sort of ripped and torn on him that's really nice and there's just some really great paint detail and the sculpting on these guys is just tremendous they really did a great job of capturing the likeness now they are a little bit stylized in terms of their body body proportions uh, and there is some fairly good articulation now this was in the early days of highly articulated figures so even like marvel legends was still in its uh, uh infancy here at this stage so they're not quite perfect you do get like ball joints in the right hand of doom uh sort of twist and swivel joints other places he's got ball jointed uh head there he's got a little bit of a sort of ball joint uh in his upper body instead of a uh waist crunch uh he's got ball jointed uh Th uh, upper thighs sort of in the hip area which kind of shows their age a little bit and uh, just regular joints in the ankles and the knees but this battle damage one is so cool because this um, stocks that they have him in is just this really cool piece there's so many little uh, bars and that with hinges to lock him in and you can spring it out and he comes with a giant stone sword and each of the hellboys would come with his uh, samaritan which is the big revolver gun and that actually opens up and you can check the stock in there and it's just cool little features like that that really like it kind of seems a bit basic, but we really weren't getting a lot of these type of things at that time. Now, obviously, this first wave did well enough for them that they gave us a second wave uh, of these figures. So you got another bad guy, uh, again, with uh, Cronin coming in his more Nazi gear get-up. So this is probably his more iconic look because the way he's appeared in a lot of the trailers uh, was his sort of leather trench coat. Uh, Nazi outfit, which actually does have the swastika on it, which is kind of amazing because toys uh, do veer away from that 
uh, these days. And look, I, I, I understand why. I'm not going to uh, argue that it should return in any format, but uh, it is here. And I'll come back to the Schwastika because it does play a bit of a part uh, in these Hellboy toys later on. Now, if you actually remove his coat, which you wouldn't have much reason to, he does have the red band around the shoulder, and they have avoided putting the Schwastika on there. It's just a little pin uh, on his chest that has it, and it's not painted, but you can see it in the sculpt of his belt. Uh, he also comes with a little pistol there uh, in his belt, but uh, his hands, or at least his uh, sword hands, I he did come with unsorted hands, uh, but they're packed away somewhere. So I haven't seen them in years to be able to tell you if they can actually hold this gun. Uh, but the iconic bit in the film is he plops two blades out of this in the beginning prologue. And uh, he does have his bladed hands here uh, that do come out. So he's a really neat one. And this is actually, I think, the preferred one. And he's got a removable hat, which doesn't stay on. So you might want some blue uh, tack there. But if you were just going to get one Cronin, he is the iconic one there. Now, you also got a battle-damaged Abe Sapien uh, that has been sort of attacked by the Alsamiales. Uh, he's got his little... Uh, healing uh, sci-fi gear chest piece that you put across. He kind of ends up in a back-to-tank type one uh, near the run of the movie. And uh, for the most part, he's basically the swimming styled figure from the first wave released again uh a lot of these were reusing uh parts here it was kind of more i think it was even officially released as kind of a wave 1.5 more than uh the second wave as it's more commonly referred to these days uh my favorite figure from the wave is actually a shirtless hellboy uh so it's him uh, without a shirt or trench coat on. So this is kind of the iconic look for Hellboy from the comics. He doesn't really go in this attire too much in the films, uh, but it was cool to get it here in a figure. It's kind of more in a relaxed state, so it actually comes with a cigar in his mouth as well, which is uh, really cool because... That is another uh, major piece of Hellboy. He's a cigar smoker. So much so that I said Hellboy influenced me in my later part of high school. Well, I thought that uh, cigars were cool. Uh, I was a bit of an idiot. I was susceptible uh, to such things. So I actually remember turning up at a party... Uh, now, these were sort of country Australia uh, high school parties, so they're often out in paddocks or uh, in sheds and that, and I went around to the back of this one shed where the uh, sort of high school kids that smoked were at this party, and I, I generally wouldn't, although I got along with most people in my high school year level, this wouldn't be where you'd normally find me hanging out at a party. I'd normally be more uh, with the beer than uh, with the smokers. But this time I turned up there in the smoking section and I pulled out a uh, box of cigars and put one in my mouth and lit up. And I thought I was the coolest thing in pants. I wasn't, kids. I wasn't. But I thought in that moment I was really cool. And one of the smokers uh, sort of turned to me and was like, oh, are you on cigars? And I'm like, yep, yep, yep. 
lit it up and I lit it up with matches because I learned in the Hellboy film you don't use a lighter, you use matches because they don't take away from the flavour. But I was too scared to inhale the smoke uh, from this cigar. Uh, So I just (laughs) sort of took it in my mouth, swished it around and blew it out. Uh, And I had another kid there who wanted to try one. So I'm like, yeah, sure, I'm pass on my coolness to you so actually gave a kid a smoke which is another bad thing to do uh but he took it breathed it in and started throwing up everywhere and everyone was laughing at him and another kid there in the circle goes ha ha you're a fool don't you know with cigars you don't inhale you just sort of breathe them in swish them around your mouth and blow it out isn't that right eddie And I was just like, yeah, of course, everyone knows that. Not realizing I'd completely fluked doing that just by luck because I was too big of a chicken to inhale uh, smoke at that time. So that's actually um, how bad of an influence Hellboy had on me is I actually smoked cigars uh, during my final year of high school thinking I was cool. In actual fact, uh, it was horrible. Cigars stink. Uh, really like trying to pick up girls in high school, they don't want a sort of fat, nerdy kid who smells like cigars. Like I was running an uphill battle uh, as it was, let alone adding the smell of cigars. Like I'm lucky I hooked up with anyone in high school at all. I don't know what those girls were thinking that did, but uh, definitely don't recommend it to anyone else who's out there listening to this who's in high school. But uh, this figure, <laughs> long story short, uh, comes with a cigar in his mouth, which, while smoking's not cool, uh, it is a nice little uh, character feature and something we don't get too often in toys, probably because of su- susceptible fools like me. I'm sorry. Uh, it's my fault your Nick Fury figure has a weird look on his face and no cigar. Uh, but uh, really cool. And he even came with a nice barbell. Now, I like doing weights every now and then, and I have my own set of barbells that I keep around my room here, so uh, I always like when a figure comes with barbells. There's been a, like a Raphael figure and a couple of other ones that have come with barbells before. And it's always one of my favorite accessories uh, to get. And he's uh, actually sort of real cool, proper, uh, well-designed one. So I dug that. And he actually came with a removable trench coat, uh, even though he doesn't sort of use it in that point in the film. But uh, that sort of rest and relaxation Hellboy uh, is nice. Now, there was another... Uh, Hellboy that came uh, in this wave and is the one that I don't own from this first film and that's the Ungam Ra Hellboy where he's got the horns and the uh, flaming crap there in between it and it's sort of him in his final apocalyptic form that you see in a flashback in the film. I don't know why I didn't pick this up uh, at the time uh, just didn't get around to it. It's sort of gone. It was a bit of a peg warmer, so I think I always thought, oh, it's there, I'll just wait till I have that bit of extra cash, and kind of never did. So I do uh, regret that now, but because it was a peg warmer, I kind of don't want to pay um, a huge amount of money for it, which it does seem to kind of go for a lot of these Hellboy figures do. Uh, so it's one I'm just going to have to have on a constant save search, but I'm sure uh, will turn up in one of my travels uh, somewhere along the line. Now, obviously, uh, there was another Hellboy film released uh, a little bit later on. This film, I like it. It is uh, definitely part of the Hellboy uh 
story, uh, particularly the film version, obviously. But really, this film was more a Guillermo del Toro film uh, than a Mike Mignola Hellboy film. Now, that's not a bad thing. Guillermo del Toro is a great director. He's actually a really wonderful guy. Uh, I did have the pleasure uh, of a brief friendship with Guillermo del Toro. And uh, I can actually back this up with a bit of proof, because if you actually own the special edition DVD of the first Hellboy film, there was a really great hidden feature on the audio commentary that if you actually listen to that audio commentary all the way to the end, and I mean to, like, the end, I'm talking in the end credits thing, Guillermo del Toro gives away an email address where you can speak to him. He was saying, you know, if you're a big fan of the film and you've gone out and brought this deluxe special edition uh, DVD box set, which at the time cost a pretty penny, now you can get it for like $13, if not cheaper in a used one. But at the time, uh, anyone who was listening to this had spent a bit of money on Hellboy uh, and obviously went through the special features he gave away an email address where you could talk to him and it was Guillermo del Toro and he answered fans questions Uh, and he was really a wonderful guy uh, to chat to now eventually that uh, email did get around he did send out a uh, email to this sort of group saying look uh, more and more people are starting to discover this word has gotten out and this was actually like two years after this DVD had been released. So it wasn't like today where someone would spoil it on Twitter and it would go viral <laughs> in a uh, instant. Uh, it took a bit of time for it really to get to the point where he's like, look, I can't keep responding to all these emails. Sorry, guys, and sort of signed off. But for a while there, he was someone there that uh, a lot of us fans were able to talk to and interact and talk about the film. So uh, he will always have a uh, special part uh, in my heart. I remember he actually even sent me this beautiful long email one day uh, when my childhood dog uh, passed away. So uh, really sweet man. So when I say uh, Hellboy 2 is not particularly my favourite, uh, it comes from me absolutely loving Guillermo del Toro. He's uh, one of my favourite directors of all time, not so much for the work that he's done, but just for the man uh, that he actually is. A lot like Kevin Smith. I really like fat bearded guys in my directorship. I, I, I like bear directors. That's that's just my type. Uh, but yeah, he I'm... So I, I really don't want to come across as negative against the film. That said, it's not my version of Hellboy and the Hellboy that I would go with. So I actually didn't end up picking up uh, a lot of the Hellboy 2 figures. Uh, so you had the Elven Prince, who was the main bad guy, uh, Luke Gross. Uh, now, he came with his sort of king ceremonial gear, which wasn't even his coolest look that he had in the film. Uh, so I didn't pick him up. You had Wink, uh, the giant troll creature with the chain ball arm. Now, he actually was kind of cool. I do kind of regret not picking him up, and he's gone insane on the secondary market, so I don't think there's a hope uh, of owning him. 
Plus, I think part of the reason of him going insane is there were some QC issues uh, that I had heard of. He did suffer breakages easily, so you might want to be careful if you are spending a bit of money and picking him up that uh, it is a uh, complete and intact version, and you do want to be careful while you're handling him. There were some more Hellboy and Abe Sapien figures. They kind of were just rehashes of the figures that we had gotten already. Uh, probably the biggest difference on one of the Hellboys is there's one with the uh, piece of a spear uh, that happens in the film stuck into him and he's bandaged up. Uh, and there was another cool R&R one in there that he had uh, some beer cans and a bit of a towel that was, a, I think it was a, either a Comic-Con or Previews exclusive that was really cool uh but there were two figures that i just had to get from this hellboy 2 uh line and that was they finally did a liz sherman so the uh, selma blair version uh and it's her in how she appeared in hellboy 2 where she's got a sort of different haircut uh but it was great to finally have her because they didn't do her for the first film because we were still in that really stupid dark age that we're still kind of in now people uh of women action figures not selling as well which really i yeah that that's a political discussion for another time but uh was happy to finally have her but there was also another character coming out, and that was Johan. And Johan is a very cool... He's a German character that has a fish tank kind of head, and he's a ghost character living inside. Uh, he was voiced by Seth MacFarlane in the film, but he was... <laughs> there was uh, someone who auditioned for this character uh, not so much for the voice but uh, to do the movements inside of the suit uh, he was a young man who uh, thought his future might have lied in acting and uh, had a certain director of uh, Hellboy 2's email that he'd gotten off a DVD feature and in talking about it actually sent him through a movement audition piece and discussed. So technically not a real audition, but uh, I have told people in the past that I technically auditioned for Hellboy 2 and it was uh, for the character of Johan. Now, of course, I was some 18-year-old fat kid in Australia and there's no way that they were ever going to uh, pick me up and fly me out to, to wherever they were filming to put me in this suit that I probably wouldn't have fit in. I'd, I'd make it look like there was a lot of gas taking up this containment suit uh, back then. But uh, it's, it's fun just to have done it as a bit of a life uh, experience. There also might have been, because there was rumours at the time of Guillermo doing uh, the Halo movie. So I might have included some grunt motion capture uh, movement ideas as well, which, oh, that tape is terrible. I, I do hope that tape is no longer in existence and not out there in the world. I'm sure it 
comes up at uh, uh, Dimension Films Christmas parties or something. <laughs> it's horrible. But anyway, uh, we finally got a movie version of the Johan figure. And this guy's really cool. Uh, he comes with two different uh, fish tank pieces for the head, a broken one and a full one. And he comes with swappable hands uh, with his sort of ghostly gas features coming in and out of him. And there's just some really great sculpting work done once again here in these figures that really do capture the film quite well and the detail. And this was just a great time for action figure paintwork and sculpt work uh, that was going through. The articulation is there fairly well, not quite what we'd expect today, but uh, it's it's getting there. It's some nice uh, work coming in here. Now, there was a second line of the Hellboy 2 figures. Uh, the notable additions there were uh, the elf princess, uh, who is uh, the one figure that's not worth anything out of these Hellboy lines. I could still go into comic stores and find her for it if anyone's uh, looking for it. And uh, there was also a goblin uh, character that didn't have any legs who sort of was on a cart and he had a lot of fish stuff and that on him. Uh, He was put in there as sort of a cool uh, little creature design. The big piece out of the second wave, though, was the Angel of Death character came as a deluxe figure. Uh, And that one I actually picked up just because it's a really great Guillermo del Toro design. Uh, it was also played by Doug Jones, who played Abe Sapien in both the films, and he's a great movement artist, so it's a really cool creature. If you've seen the film, you know the one I'm talking about with the wings and the, all the eyes running through it. Uh, it's a little bit of a... I think it actually came after Pan's Labyrinth, uh, if my timeline served me correct, but if you told someone it was a clip from Pan's Labyrinth you were showing them, uh, they would definitely believe you there oddly enough there weren't any uh golden army uh figures that came out now metzko did shrink the line uh into three uh sort of four inch uh figures and i believe there was a uh piece of the golden army in that i didn't really pick up too much of that line and some of that I don't even know what actually came out and uh, what didn't Uh, but uh, there might have been a golden army creature in that one but I was always sort of surprised that they didn't put that into the main line so that's sort of the movie versions of Hellboy done but Metzko for me shined with Hellboy in another area and that was they also decided to do at a point comic book versions of uh, these figures and that was amazing. This was one of the first action figure lines I ever actually remember hearing about on the internet before they came out and being excited and waiting for the release and I didn't realise how long it took for figures to be released at this time. It was also one of the very first uh, figures that I ever brought a case of online and sent to me. I think might have even been my second online action figure purchase. First being a Futurama Toynami box set and this might have been the second and this is one of my all-time favorite action figure lines even though it only went for two waves and a uh, very cool exclusive it kicked off with a uh, San Diego exclusive that was a see-through version of Lobster Johnson. Now, for those of you unfamiliar with Lobster Johnson, uh, he is kind of like the pulp character 
in the Hellboy universe. He's kind of an Indiana Jones, Shadow, Phantom, uh, kind of 1930s adventurer. And they made him into a figure which is really cool. And he's got the nice uh, sort of coloured lobster claw on his gloved hand there that he would burn into uh, criminals' faces. He's got like a sort of 1930s pilot look coming in there and this guy is just really cool now i don't own the see-through ghost version which is kind of how he almost sort of appeared in conqueror worm he's a bit more purplish but he was that sort of see-through spectrum uh but i've got the basic figure and he's really cool i really like he's got these gloved hands that have ball joints in them but there's something really cool about that about having the thin wrists that go into these big chunky uh hand areas uh but i do really like this figure he's got a greatly uh sculpted belt with all sorts of features on it. it's like something you'd find on captain america figure uh these days but uh he's a really cool uh figure and uh was cool to kick off the line but uh really shone in his basic release there in that first wave another figure we got in that first wave was liz sherman so this was actually the first liz sherman figure uh we had uh, gotten because this was before hellboy 2 uh, had hit and she actually came with a cigarette that was an individual piece so like that cigar like they were they were making these things uh, for adults and not intending them for the kid army uh she's got a great bprd backpack she's got the nice bprd symbol uh on her jacket and she looks like she's just stepped right out of the mike mignola artwork page she's got sort of the discolored shunken eyes uh she's got a bit of a depressed air about her uh she had these different flame pieces that you could attach into the palm of her hand she's got a little finger gap that you can slide that lit cigarette into and just a really cool uh figure this uh might have been one of my favorite ones uh in the wave they just did a really tremendous job with how her jacket is sort of too big uh on her and very fluffed out as it appeared sort of in that 90s uh comic there now the really cool uh huge piece here now this could have been a deluxe figure but they just included it as a normal part of the wave and this guy now goes for a ton on the secondary market so if you've got him be uh happy if he's just sitting in a box somewhere and you want uh some extra spending money this guy uh could pretty much buy you a hot toy now and that's king griffey uh the giant robotic nazi gorilla and uh von klemp uh the nazi scientist whose head's in sort of a floating jar now these guys came out of a uh, little one of the original hellboy uh mini comic side stories now von klemp is meant to have a swastika on his forehead the basic release of this guy uh, did not come with that. It's just a plain uh, sculpted forehead. Uh, they were a little concerned about having a that prominent of a swastika uh, on a figure, which is why I was surprised to find it on uh, that Cronin there. But you could actually buy a uh, version of this guy from the Metsco website directly 
and get it with a swastika on the head if you wanted accurate. Uh, now, I just brought these figures online for the very first time, let alone ordering through a uh, direct website there and that. So I did miss out on him, uh, and that version definitely goes for a ton of money. But uh, if you can track it down, that is technically the more accurate comic book version the uh standout though the character we got to talk about is hellboy and this figure is insane uh now this is one of the first figures speaking of a lot of firsts tonight that i actually remember buying both versions of so like uh the uh original movie ones uh there were two different facial expressions one very neutral one with the open mouth and both of mine came with closed fists now uh, there was an open fist that was done for the figure in the second wave but i don't know if these hellboys were released with open fist options as well but the sculpting on this guy is just insane it looks like he stepped off the page uh, this is pretty much the definitive Hellboy action figure you'd be wanting if you wanted a comic book version of the character. Purposely, uh, like, really captures that uh, Mike Mignola uh, pointed-edged artwork. The colouring designs, like the choice of the yellow of the eyes, is just perfect. Now, I actually really love the open mouth one because he has the white teeth that are just... Uh, painted in that sort of comic book white so he really stands out as stepping off the page uh, in that version just adds that little bit of extra something there uh, he's even got a little uh, crucifix on some rosary beads that is just a like separate mixed media piece that hangs off his belt uh, he came with sort of an old Zinko uh, walkie talkie which is a really nice touch Zinko is kind of just that name all brand from the early days of the Hellboy comics uh, it comes with his uh, great uh, good Samaritan gun uh, and that's just it's just a fantastic figure all around except for the fact these guys didn't come with trench coats, uh, which is a very iconic piece of uh, the Hellboy uh, artwork. Now, if you wanted a trench coat, you could get one. Uh, they were a little bit harder to uh, come by, though. You basically needed to get an exclusive uh, version of him. So there was... Uh, one that was released basically off the website like uh, Von Klemp with the swastika uh, that came through and it's, I actually have one of these and it's beautiful, the detail in here is actually amazing, if you've seen pictures of it, that doesn't do it justice, there's actually sort of different colours in the fabric itself where uh, it looks worn but it's the actual coat you have is brand new i don't have a dirty coat it's just uh the way it's done there's little details like the playing card in the rolled up sleeve the nice bprd symbol there's actually sort of a faux leather collar done to it it's got stitching where there needs to be stitching there's little uh button pieces on the back and that's just really cool and amazing now this basic version uh, that I have is the exclusive that came with all the different uh, Japanese vampires, which were a bunch of uh, floating heads. 
uh, here, which are really cool. And the design on these are just incredible. These look like they stepped off the page. Each one is distinct and different, and they come with a little uh, flying floating stand, and they're all at different lengths on the stand, so they look like they're floating at different heights. And this was cool because we didn't get too many villains uh in the wave and this was a way to just get a whole bunch of different characters uh in the one run so that is uh really awesome i actually forgot to speak about a villain with um lobster johnson he came with this uh brain tentacle creature that appeared in one of the backup stories in a hellboy book that he was from uh so that was sort of a nice addition there and that that's sort of just a bendy wire uh, spine that comes out the back of him so a good way of getting an extra villain in there with him now there was a second way that you could get the trench coat there was an exclusive version of hellboy that came uh that's like a battle damage one now he's really cool he's got a more gritted teeth look uh not sort of the open mouth look but uh sort of a i'm about to go fight this monster uh and he's covered with sort of that similar glossy blood effect and he's also got blood markings on his trench coat itself and it's got a lot of tears and holes and they've often dabbed blood inside where the tears and holes would be and uh they've just done a wonderful job on this i don't know quite how to describe it but He's got, say, like blood on his arm, and the way that the blood has been drizzled down on his arm and painted on just looks natural. It looks like the way uh, blood would bleed, like uh, the way he's got it out of his nose on the side. There's just something about the way that they've applied it. It just looks real, and the way blood would actually drip down uh, in such a way. So he's really cool. He's a bit harder to find. He's going to set you back in about the three digits now. Uh, if you are looking for him, uh, but he's definitely uh, a great piece. He, this guy is going to be arguably my favourite uh, Hellboy figure that they've done. Just he's got the trench coat, he's got that nice glossy blood look. He's got showing some teeth, so that really helps uh, bring the expression out. Uh, it's just some really incredible work uh, on that guy there. I do highly recommend tracking him down. If you can, it took me a few years to get that guy. Uh, he was a safe search on eBay uh, that I had to keep hunting there for. Now, as for the second wave here, uh, we have a, another Hellboy figure. Now, this is Hellboy as he appeared in the second uh, story or trade, uh, Hellboy miniseries, uh, Wake the Devil. And it's when they were jumping out of a plane with these sort of jetpack features. Uh, and there was a bit of an early joke running in the early Hellboy books that technology just didn't work. And it was a jetpack that broke down. So you get him, he's sort of in this uh, bomber's jacket, uh, jetpack on the back. He's got his little sort of trigger uh, fire cord here to use. Uh, the Good Samaritan gun there as well. Now, you also had another Johan figure. So this was our first Johan figure as well. Now, a cool, weird little thing about Johan is he hasn't met Hellboy. He's part of the Hellboy universe, but he comes from the BPRD comics. So even though you've seen him interact with Hellboy in Hellboy 2, uh, Hellboy and Johan, uh, unless there's some flashback comic in a recent thing that I'm just a little bit behind on, 
uh, in the BPRD side of things. I'm up to date on Hellboy, but these guys never actually uh, really cross paths. So uh, it's kind of weird that there's a prominent Hellboy character in the Hellboy universe, and he's yet to actually meet Hellboy uh, in the story. But he's kind of really cool. Uh, these kind of got a bit of a weird urine colour to his see-through bulb head, which was a little bit unexpected, but I've kind of grown accustomed to it now. But I remember being a little like, oh, I don't know about this. It's kind of more of a white colour in uh, the actual books. But uh, the sculpting on him is really cool. He's got a great BPRD uh, leather patch on his back. He comes with swappable hands himself uh, with the different ghost features that come on back through. Uh, you also get in this wave another one of his teammates. Uh, now, he makes a brief cameo in the first Hellboy movie in the background, uh, but most people probably missed it. And he's a Frankenstein-y uh, creature uh, known as Roger and I'm blanking on the word that uh, Roger's called, but he's kind of a, uh, not humongoloid, but it's sort of a, uh, it's, it's a Frankenstein-type man-made creature. There's a specific term for it that I'm just uh, blanking on at the moment. I believe it begins with H. Uh, but he's one of these weird, uh, mystical, man-made uh, creations. It's sort of a golemish. Uh, guy and he's really cool so he basically has a giant wooden plank uh, with a circle bar uh, through it that covers his junk and apart from that he's naked unless you put his uh, BPR vest over him and he's got this little attachment in his chest where uh, in the comic Liz uh, was able to light with her flame and bring him uh, to life and he's a really cool and really neat character uh, from the book so I won't spoil it but uh, really comes to his own in a story called The Black Flame and the last figure of this uh, second wave of the Hellboy comic figures uh, is a creature that's an alien. Might seem a little bit weird uh, to think of aliens with Hellboy. He's much more of a supernatural uh, guy, but there were these weird aliens that appeared right in the very first story. Uh, They sort of do a weird cutaway bit, and they definitely go on uh, to play a part uh, in much later stories. I kind of don't want to spoil it for anyone who is... Uh, they're reading, but they are a little bit of a mystery. Now, these guys were a peg warmer early on, uh, but you could technically army build this guy, and he actually ended up going from a peg warmer to actually worth a fair bit of money. Uh, I think uh, when they were, were released, they were a bit of a mysterious character still, and then uh, the story started to come out explaining what they were, and then Hellboy fans kind of backtracked and went and brought them. So uh, they seemed like they were common originally, but you might have a bit of trouble uh, finding them now. They came with these weird energy weapons that I don't think actually appeared in the comics uh, at any point. But uh, Mike Mignola actually had a bit of a part designing uh, these guys with Metsuko and worked uh, with them quite well. So I'm pretty sure they were Mike Mignola-designed uh, weapons, even though you hadn't seen them in the books. Uh, now, there was meant to be a third wave of these comic book uh, Hellboy figures. They were going to include a uh, Ungamra uh, Hellboy, so him with his horns and the floating crown. Uh, there was going to be a comic book version of Rasputin. There was going to be a Plague of Frogs Frogman from the Seed of Destructions 
and so on storylines, uh, which is a shame. That would have been a great army builder figure character, and that was the one I was really looking forward to. It's like having a Star Wars line without stormtroopers. You kind of want that uh, in there. And we never got those figures, but there was a fourth figure from that line that did eventually come to pass, and out of all of them, it's the one that we needed to come to pass, and that is the uh, second main guy from the Hellboy universe, Abe Sapien. Uh, So we needed a comic book version of Abe Sapien to get out there. And he was eventually released as a San Diego Comic-Con exclusive. Uh, Now I mentioned my friendship with the uh, Honourable Mitchell Davies uh, at the beginning here of this segment. He knew someone who was going to San Diego and uh, actually got two of these. Now, the person who went to San Diego for him actually uh, had one of them signed uh, for him. Uh, And that meant that he had these two figures uh, and he was a bit... He kind of wanted to open them as well, but didn't want to rip open the one of uh, Abe Sapien uh, that had been signed, but uh, he did also intend to give one to me, and even though he was tempted to keep both uh, and have one signed and have one loose, uh, he was super nice and was still able um, to give me uh, one and just kept his sign one uh, in the package and never actually opened it. So uh, I have great respect for him for that because uh, that, that is definitely a toy dilemma uh, there in uh, what to do. But uh, he's a great guy. He, he does the nice thing uh, even at his own uh, loss, unfortunately. But this is a great figure. The design work in here, once again, like all of them, it's straight off that Mike Mignola, like real basic, simple line work design that somehow they're able to change into uh, this 3D form. Like even just the different colours of uh, sort of the scale markings under his chin and he's got kind of this tiger pattern on his head uh, that's this weird... You wouldn't describe... Any way you'd describe this wouldn't sound fishy, but just in Mike Mignola's art-style design, it is uh, sort of a fish design, uh, but it's kind of these tiger stripes on his head that are coloured in black and uh, go around the side that just works perfect you can see where that would be blending in in the shadows in a Mike Mignola work now he does come with a BPRD flat vest uh, and he comes with a spear which plays a very important part in Cedar Destructions uh, so uh, I, once again look I, I can't recommend the Hellboy books enough I'm trying not to spoil them because uh, being an independent comic I'm sure n- not everyone here in fact the vast majority probably haven't read these Hellboy books I do implore you go to your comic store buy them uh, and read them but uh, he is fantastic and this whole wave of uh, comic book figures is fantastic it's one of my favorite action figure lines of all time I I wish this line didn't die in early death I wish it could have kept going and we could have gotten a whole bunch of other ones Hellboy sort of missing an eye Bubba Yeager uh, Iron Shoes The Corpse uh uh, Dominic, uh, like so many characters here that could have come in uh, and been a part through, but uh, that's not even really getting into BPRD and Sledgehammer and all these other sort of side spin-off books that have uh, Witch Hunter, I mean even Baltimore <laughs> would be a great one uh, to see an action figure line, even though he's not part of the Hellboy universe, he's uh, a great Mike Mignola character uh, so it would have been great to see this line go. Unfortunately, 
not everything can last forever. And I'm extremely fortunate to have these figures uh, here now and to have brought them early because, uh, to be honest, if you're looking to get into this line now, you've m- heard me mention on multiple figures, like, they they can go for a pretty penny. Uh, you can find them cheap every now and then. Uh, I do recommend, if you are after them, uh, definitely play the long game, set up an eBay se- save search, uh, and just keep your eye open. Things do turn up from time to time, and this is with any line. Uh, definitely do that, but uh, don't play some of the ridiculous prices that are being asked for these. But thank you so much for indulging me once again uh, during this hiatus uh, where I've just gone on a bit of a rant about a uh, toy line that I love. So I'm going to uh, sort of finish things uh, off here. I'm going to uh, bid you guys adieu and sign off for the episode but thank you once again for joining us guys and we will see you uh on the next episode good journey the action figure blues podcast can be found on itunes and stitcher radio and can be downloaded direct from actionfigureblues.com wherever you listen please take a moment to leave a positive rating and review to help others find our show We also have an active fan forum at afbforum.com where you can join with all the hosts of the podcast and many other collectors to discuss news, reviews, old lines, and trade and sell in a safe community. Please join us there. While you're at actionfigureblues.com, don't forget to check out our sponsors like Mike's Comics and Stuff, the Pop Culture Superstore, Bam Kapow, and Davy Boy's Toys. You can find us on Twitter at AFBlues, on Instagram at ActionFigureBlues, and on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash ActionFigureBlues. Thanks for listening. Now, I need to get the lawn, uh, lawn master picture up in front of me because I don't Law, law. Oh, whatever. Lawmaster. Lawmaster. <laughs> Lawnmaster. I swear I thought you said Lawnmaster. I think I may have actually said Lawnmaster in my... I'm pretty sure I did. That's what I typed. I call him two stroke. (laughs) (laughs) I told you I don't know anything about this dude. That's what we're missing. We're missing a 112 scale lawnmower. (laughs) Just so I can do some Deadpool gags. Go on, Nell. Do your work.